0: This is the first Sunday out of history that I have one word to share with you. It's not every day you hear a pastor or a preacher stand up and say, I have one word to share with you today. Today I want to share with you this word that has revolutionized many a Christian's life. I believe this word that I'm about to share with you can transform the marriage that you have. I believe this word that I'm about to share with you can revolutionize your walk with Jesus Christ. I believe in every area of your life, the word I'm about to share with you can do great and mighty things. And it's the word perseverance. If you walk away with anything today, I want you to walk away with that one word, perseverance. Would you say that word with me out loud? Perseverance. Say it one more time, please. Perseverance. I want to draw your attention to Verse number 15. It says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast. These two words, stand fast, it literally means to persevere. And today, if we need a message now more than ever, it's for Christians living in this world full of sin to persevere in their walk with God, to persevere in their faith. When we think of perseverance, many things come to mind. But perseverance means sticking with your goal regardless of any disappointments or obstacles along the way, no matter how impossible the task may seem. It is having the will and eternal, excuse me, and internal strength to know what you want and to stick to it until you accomplish it. Of course, perseverance must be accompanied by intellect. You cannot pursue a goal or plan that has not been well thought out. For a person who is merely persistent can be annoying to others. Perseverance is not always about liking or loving what you are doing, but about accomplishing things regardless. Sometimes you just have to do it. Many successful people attribute the main ingredient for their success is perseverance. It was their ability to persevere in the face of difficulty and challenges. From professional athletes to great leaders, they all share similar stories about there are many failures leading to their great success. One of those successful people in, in our great American history is the inventor and businessman Thomas Edison. Did you know that Edison has over 1,093 patents to his name? This article says, Some of the most notable inventions include the light bulb and the phonograph, as well as key innovations to the telegraph, motion picture, and mining industries. Regarding the light bulb, it has been rumored and reported that Thomas Edison tried anywhere between 2,000 to 10,000 combinations until it worked. Talk about perseverance. Thomas Edison has been accredited by saying this, I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways that won't work. I know you might turn the television on I know that you might look at the school systems and the young people of America, and you might think that God has lost all hope with our world, but I submit to you today, what God desires in each of our lives is for us as Bible-believing Christians to persevere in our faith and walk with Him till He calls us home. Today, I want to share a key statement with you that if you, really, if you walk away with anything plus the word perseverance, I want you to walk away with this statement. Making God your first priority is the key to perseverance. Making God your first priority is your key to perseverance. Did you know that your first priority should not be to make sure you get your house paid off before you kick the bucket? (laughs) Your first priority should not be to make sure that you get a good retirement plan set up so that you can retire comfortably and live in the shade drinking your lemonade. Your main priority is not your marriage, by the way, and it's not the relationships on this earth. Your main priority in your Christian walk is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I submit to you today that if we get that straight, then we will persevere in our faith no matter the challenges, no matter the situations, no matter what we face in our lives. Today, I want to share with you three thoughts from these verses that we just read about perseverance. In verses 13 through 12, I wrote down this first of three thoughts. Persevere in salvation. If you notice the word salvation in verse 13, maybe you can underline that, ver- that, that word. Then I want you to draw your attention to verse number 15 as I'm going to share, secondly, the word tradition, this thought. Persevere in tradition. And then as I, as I want to draw your attention to verse number 16, the word consolation. I have a third thought for you. Persevere in consolation. These are the three thoughts I want to lay to you today about perseverance. But before we dive into this, I want to reiterate this thought. Making God your first priority is the key to perseverance. Remember what Jesus said? He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Did you know that when you put God first in your life, you'll never have to worry about the clothes that you're wearing. You'll never worry have to worry about a shelter that you can lay your head at night. You'll never have to worry about uh, food or water coming on your tail because when God is first, He will provide every penny that you'll ever need, and every grain of rice, and every oat of oatmeal, He will, and every ear of corn. We're Baptists, so we like corn. We like mashed potatoes. And we like our fried chicken and watermelon. Can I get a witness in the house of God this morning? Today I want to draw your attention to verse number 13 and 14. And share three words with you. Persevere in salvation. Persevere in salvation. Now before we dive into this passage, I I want to share with you that, that salvation, sometimes in scripture, as I've shared with you before, has a twofold meaning. It has a, first of all, it can be a temporal salvation. That is... God is going to deliver you from a trial on this earth. But then salvation has a second-fold meaning, and that is a deliverance from eternal damnation in hell. And so today I believe that when we look at this word salvation in verse number 13, it is not speaking of a trial here on this earth. I believe it's referring to the trials in eternity, that as a child of God, give God the glory. By His grace and His mercy He has saved us, and that because of that we'll never have to experience eternal separation from Him in a devil's hell. Because of what he's done on the cross, because of his sacrifice 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that, that God the Father made God the Son to be sin for us, and he, God the Son, did not know sin. He was full of righteousness, and now we can be clothed in his righteousness when we stand before him guiltless. And with that in mind, when we look at this word salvation, I ask you, Has there been a time in your life when you bowed your knee and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? If you died right now, this moment, this day, would you be in heaven? Or the horrible place the Bible describes as hell? With that sobering question in mind, I want to look at verse number 13 and try to unpack this as best as I know how. It says, but we are bound to give thanks always to you, to God for you. So here we find that the Apostle Paul begins this statement by saying that we are commissioned in a sense by God to thank God for you and us meeting each other when we were in Thessalonica. And he thanks them. He thanks God on their behalf because they have received salvation. Now... I think that it would do ourselves some very good if we were to just look across the pew, look across the aisle, look to our backs, look to our fronts, and just thank God for our brothers and sisters in the household of faith this evening, excuse me, this morning. And it'd be so much better to thank God for each other than to criticize, to grumble, to gripe and complain, and to bicker towards each other. Persevere in salvation, church. That's what God wants us to do. Notice that salvation is by grace and, and through faith. It is not of works. You know, there's a lot of people who, who rise up throughout the past 2,000 years since Jesus Christ has come, and some people are going to say that in order to get saved, to really receive salvation, you've got to keep the law. Well, actually, the Bible says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We don't have to do that. There's going to be some that are going to come and say that, well, in order to receive salvation, you've got to get baptized. Yeah, you've got to get in the, in the water, and you've got to go swimming, and you got to get dunked. Well, you can get dunked. To kingdom come. You can get dunked every day of the year for the rest of your life. In the name of Jesus, in the name of God the Father, and in the name of the Holy Ghost. But that's not going to save you. You could join every church in the Roanoke Valley, every Baptist church, every Presbyterian church, every Charismatic church, every Pentecostal church, every Catholic church, anything you want to go to, you could join them, but that's not going to save you. The Bible says that salvation is by grace through faith. And here, as we look at this, we need to understand that we have to persevere in salvation, that we have to hold to this doctrine, because there's a lot of people who are slipping from the doctrine of salvation. They're slipping by saying salvation can be obtained through another means than Jesus Christ. But you hear me well today, church, that the only way to receive salvation is through Jesus Christ and Him only. Jesus is not a way to heaven. He is the only way to heaven, as He said I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so Paul is thanking God on their behalf because God has saved him. But I want you to know that verse 13 is probably one of the, you know, I know 2 Thessalonians in of itself is, is a little debatable because of the end times Bible prophecy, eschatological emphasis it, it places. But, but as we look at verse 13, we find last week we learned about eschatology, but today we are going to learn about soteriology. So here I want to, I want to share a, the theological jargon and term soteriology. Would you say that word with me? Soteriology. That is, if, if you go into a, into a setting and, and some professor guesser with a PhD that with you know, accolades and scholarship, and he starts saying soteriology, you need to understand he's talking about salvation. He's talking about a means by which we get saved. And here, this verse is about soteriology. But I want you to know today that salvation is so simple, it only takes a little childlike faith to obtain it. The Bible says in John 3.16... For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's so simple, it takes a little childlike faith to understand it. But listen, soteriology and salvation can be so complex that for the past 2,000 years, scholars, theologians, the great minds of Christianity have debated and disputed about some of the minute details. And this verse is a verse that can mess up your theology if you're an extremist in one view or the other. Today I want to take you to Boones Mill Elementary School, the school that I went to for five or six years of my life, kindergarten through fifth grade. And while I was in elementary school, we were just seeing the end of the chalkboard and the chalk. How many of you went to school with a chalkboard and chalk? God bless you god bless you you're showing your age if your hand is up this morning (laughs) by the time i got into middle school i think we all had the dry erase boards but today i want i want you to go back to elementary school with me and pretend that i'm your teacher and what i'm going to do is i'm going to have a piece of chalk in my hand and i'm going to draw a figure on the chalkboard and i'm going to go through the class and i'm going to say i'm going to number you between one and two and so there we're sitting in the desks. we got our pencils, we got our binders, we got our notebooks, and we got our books there. And so I go around one and two and one and two, one and two, one and two, one and two, all the way through to the end. And I say, class, everybody bow your head. You don't have to do that, by the way. Just go with me in your mind. I say, class, everybody bow your head. All the ones, I want to ask you in just a few moments to lift up your head, and I want you to tell me what you see on the chalkboard. And at that time... I draw a big circle. And I ask all the ones to look up, not to say anything out loud, but to write down what you see. And I say, class, all the ones, set your heads down. And there I take an eraser, and I erase the circle. And I draw a triangle. And I say, all the twos, please look up at the chalkboard and write down what you see. And they look up, they see, they write down a triangle and they lay their head back down and I raise the triangle and I say, class, I want everybody to look up and at this time when I count to three, I want you to all shout out what you saw on the chalkboard. One, two, three, half the class says circle, half the class says triangle. Today I say all that to say this, is that can you imagine those classmates Getting in such a ruffle and tuffle about how one saw the triangle and one saw the circle. They both saw what they saw on the chalkboard. But as we relate it to theology, today as we look at verse number 13, this verse really dives into what we call Calvinistic theology or Arminian theology. I mean look at the verse, it says says here, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Now today I'm not here advocating any branch of theology, but I want, you to say, I want to say this with you, that I could take the Bible and I could share with you all the verses that a Calvinist would teach to really support their five points of Calvinism, and I could take you on the other side and show you all the verses to support the Arminian five points and share with you a defense for both sides. But I want to relay this to you, that extremes on this side and extremes on this side make great error, but both of them see the word of God. Both of them have scripture, but it am- amounts to balancing them out. You see, as a, if you open, I wear glasses, I don't know, contacts, I don't know if you wear glasses or contacts, but listen, if I take my contacts out right now, I wouldn't be able to tell who's here today, and maybe that would be better for you and for me. But as I take my contacts and I put them in, I can see with a, approximately a 20-20 vision, but without them, only God knows what I'm seeing. But if you take the eyeglasses of a Calvinist and you read the Bible with those eyeglasses, then you're going to see it from a Calvinist perspective. But if you take those off and you read, you put on the Arminian glasses and you read the Bible with an Arminian perspective, then you're going to read it in that way. But I submit to you today don't read the Bible with any of those glasses. Read the Bible for what the Bible says and then take what it says and believe it. It says, We are bound. To give thanks always to God for you. And the, he is thanking God on their behalf. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. You see, there's gonna be a lot of extreme Calvinists who are gonna come to this verse and try to use this verse in support for their extreme use. Now, be that as it may, I believe this verse is simply saying this. Paul is reminding these believers that they are going through a great trial and persecution. Remember, Paul and Silas and Timothy went to Thessalonica and they go, they start a church for 30 days, they were there, and then they were kicked out of town. And then they go and they kick them out of another town and, and they assaulted Jason's house and they received great persecution. And he's writing them and say, hey, I know that you received persecution. I know that you're going through great trials, but I remind you today that at some point in time, God saved you and he chose you. For salvation. Now, this is the best way I can explain all this stuff. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, when you are unsaved, and you're looking at salvation on the doorway, it says, whosoever. And then when you get saved, and you walk through the doorway of salvation, which is through Jesus Christ, and you look back at the door, it says, chosen by God. It's the best way I can explain all this stuff to you today. Today, I'm not advocating any view of Armenian theology or Calvinistic theology, I am advocating this, that God knows who is going to get saved and who is not going to get saved. And God has made salvation possible for every person to receive Him as Lord and Savior. And here... He is reminding them that there was a time in your life that you were lost and God saved you and you are going to persevere in your faith because God saved you. This reminds me of 1 John where the Bible says that they went out from us because they were not of us. And if somebody who comes and makes a profession of faith and they and then deny that profession, then most likely they were never saved to begin with. And by the way, for a couple hundred years and a few hundred years of the branches of theology, that if somebody wanted to be classified as a Calvinist, that meant that they did not believe you could lose your salvation and if they believe that you could lose your salvation you were classified as an Arminian well all that in mind I want to just say this persevere in salvation if you are saved you are going to endure until the day that God calls you home if all you've made is a profession of faith and your salvation is not anchored and settled then you need to get it settled before it's eternally too late Verse 14 says, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 13 and 14, I wrote on this, persevere in salvation. Making God your first priority is the key to perseverance. Remember, if if you know that you know that you know that you know that God saved you, then you know that you're going to persevere through your faith. No matter what trial, no matter what persecution, no matter what comes your way, you're not going to be shaken. You're going to remain grounded and settled in what you believe in because Jesus has saved you. But now would you look at verse 15? The Apostle Paul says, therefore. I like what the old country preacher said. He said, whenever you see therefore, you got to find out why it's therefore. (laughs) Therefore, brethren, stand fast. This word stand fast means to persevere. And that is the message today. Perseverance. Persevere in salvation. But I want to share with you secondly today from verse 15. Look at the word traditions. Would you say tradition with me on three? One, 3? Tradition. Say it one more time, please. Tradition. I wrote down this. Persevere in tradition. Persevere in tradition. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're like... My family, every family has traditions that they do. Whether it's for Thanksgiving, whether it's for Christmas, whether it's for birthdays, whether it's for for whatever. But you know this word tradition is not about that. This word tradition is not about, well, we've blessed God, we've always sang from the hymnal, so we're always going to sing from the hymnal. This doesn't mean that, well, bless God, we're Baptists, and we're going to bless God, die as Baptists. (laughs) Listen, the reason why I'm a Baptist today is because I believe the Baptist faith best lines up with the Word of God. One of my professors, when I have been studying through undergraduate and through graduate school, one of my professors, he said these words, and it shocked me. He said, if it's Baptist, it's Bible, and if it's Bible, it's Baptist. Please don't say amen there. Please just don't do that, (laughs) because I could share with you several reasons and stuff of what doesn't always line up in scripture about the Baptist, what things they practice, and some of the details that they believe, but I am a Baptist because I believe it best represents the overarching teaching of the word of God, but if the Baptist denomination just ceased to exist, this wouldn't bother me. Because I know I am not classified as a Baptist. I am classified as a born-again, blood-bought Bible-eving child of God. Now, you may want to classify yourself as a Baptist. That's fine. And I do classify myself as a Baptist preacher. And and I I got saved at a Baptist camp. I went to a Baptist Bible college. I'm going to a Baptist seminary. And listen, I get it. But make sure that your tradition is not more important than the Word of God. We say, well, we've always had a piano player at our church, so bless God, we're always going to do it. We've always had Sunday school classes, so bless God, we're always going to do it. We've always done it this way, so hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, we're always going to do it that way. It's not necessarily the right attitude to have. By the way, this word tradition doesn't mean any of that stuff. This word tradition, it literally means the word of God. That means the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, brethren, stand fast, be persevere in your faith, and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whereby by word and our epistle. Notice the word by word. He's talking about the time when he came and he preached to them the words of God about how Jesus is coming again, about how he's going to return, about the rapture. He said, hold these things. And then he says, and our epistle. So not just this one, but also the other one. And so as we're reading this, we need to understand that tradition is man-centered. But God's word is God-centered. And what we should ascribe to is God's word and not man's tradition. I'm afraid that Far too many of us are more concerned about the way we've done things in the past than about what the Word of God says. I believe that far too many Christians are more concerned about how everybody did it yesterday, so we better do it the same way today. No, I know change can be hard, but we need to change our philosophy. And uh, did you hear about that that guy who died and went to glory? And he got up to the gate, you know, the, the nice, shiny, pearly gate with all the pearls on it. And there's St. Peter's there, and he he gets up to the gate, and and he walks in, and he takes them over to the group of what people call Baptists. And there he is. They're just having a good old shouting fest, hallelujah, glory to God time in heaven. And then uh, some other people kick the bucket, and they stand before St. Peter, and, and they happen to, to grow up, you know, we, uh, Wesleyan and, and Methodist and, and, and a different denomination. And so they go into heaven, and, and so St. Peter says, over here we got the Methodists, over here we got the Pentecostals, over here we got the uh, Charismatics, over here we got even some Catholics over here. But shh, 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 shh. Over here's the Baptist. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> I want you to know that that if you think getting to heaven means joining a Baptist church or accepting Baptist theology, that's not the truth. The truth is, is that the way somebody gets to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, surely throughout church history, the past 400 years, since the 1600s, give or take, the Baptist denomination has been greatly used by God to advance the gospel, to start churches, to disciple people, and many a great preachers have been geared up through the Baptist denomination. Making God your first priority is the key to perseverance. Persevere in salvation, persevere in tradition. Hey, listen, it doesn't matter If somebody comes up and they start teaching otherwise what the Word of God says, you can mark it down. That let God be true and every man a liar. The traditions that we've been taught are found in the Word of God. Not our preferences, but the divine principles of God. Now I want to share with you from verses 16 through 17. It says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. As I read these two verses, I wrote down this. Not only persevere in salvation, not only persevere in tradition, but I wrote down thirdly. Persevere in consolation. Persevere in consolation. Look at the word consolation found in verse number 16. But notice it says everlasting consolation. God has given you, God has given me an eternal consolation. This word consolation means comforting someone who has gone through loss, disappointment, or suffering. Now this church at Thessalonica has gone through loss. They've gone through disappointment and they went through suffering. And maybe you're here today and you're going through loss, whether it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe here today and you're going through disappointment, maybe you've been disappointed by a loved one. Maybe you've been disappointed by the church. Maybe you've been disappointed by other Christians. Or maybe here today you, you're going through suffering, a time of great trial and persecution through your faith. Once we understand that God is our author of salvation, once we understand that God saves us, not we ourselves, and that the traditions of his word are to be kept and persevered throughout time, then we understand that our job and duty as a child of God is to understand that the consolation he has given to us is eternal. He's settled our peace and He's given us a peace of mind for all eternity that we'll never have to fret, worry, or be concerned about where we spend eternity. And now it's our duty and obligation to help comfort those in our faith and in The body of Christ. Verse number 16 says consolation, and verse number 17 says comfort. And that's what consolation means to comfort. I wonder right now if you would just, in your own mind, rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10. Of how well you think God thinks you're doing in comforting other believers when they go through loss when they go through disappointments or when they go through suffering one being very very poor and 10 being extremely high just in your own mind think for just about three or five seconds and give yourself a number most likely You're here today, you're not going to choose one because that's way low. You're not going to choose ten because that's way high. More than likely, you're going to choose around somewhere between a four and a seven. And it's interesting. Sometimes we put ourselves on the fence. And God has called us to help each other, not to hurt each other. God has called us to comfort each other. Not to criticize each other. God has called us to build each other up. Not to tear each other down. God has called us to encourage each other in our walk. Not to discourage each other in our walk. I submit to you today that when God is first in our lives, we will desire to comfort each other through loss, through disappointments, and through suffering. That when God is first place in our lives, we will persevere through the Bible doctrine that God has given us in his word that this verse calls the traditions which you've been taught. And when we understand that God has saved us, we will not be just another statistic that says, well... They turned a certain age and they walked away from the faith. Is God your first priority? If he is, then I have no doubt that you're going to persevere until God calls you home. But if he's not first in your life, then maybe you will not persevere in the way that God wants you to. Today the message is very simple. It's perseverance. Making God your first priority is the key to perseverance. Will you pray with me? Hey, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbryanratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you, and have a great week.